The Day in the Bay, here from transnational feminists in a firm, a grassroots anti-imperialist organization led by women of color. We are at the helm of the struggle for liberation and here to stay. My name is Genevieve and I'm from the East Bay. Hi everyone, I'm Betty and I'm from Oakland. Hi everyone, I'm Denise and I'm calling in from Oakland. Hi everyone, my name is Riss and I'm here from Berkeley and we're all members of Affirm SF Bay Area, which is located on the unceded territory of Ohlone land. Today for our very first episode of our new podcast, Loving Our Rage, we're talking about Earth Day and we're bringing our transnational anti-imperialist feminist perspective. Riz, can you please kick us off with laying the foundation for the ways that women and the environment are connected? Right. Thank you so much for this introduction, Denise. So um, conceptually, I guess we can talk about the connections between women and environment, right? And specifically in their treatment. So going back, um, the Industrial Revolution is usually used as a time marker for when humans and their actions became the biggest influence and caused damage on the biosphere and planet. But mankind's exploitation of nature began much earlier if we think of white coloners that ravaged indigenous lands, pushed species such as the bison to the brink of extinction, and aggressively cleared acres of forests and wild spaces to settle. And this is all very similar to how women were exploited in history, expected to give without any consideration into their well-being and health, and at a demand that is unsustainable. So we typically refer to the planet we call home as Mother Nature, an abundant and diverse creation who produces, consumes, provides, cares, takes, breathes, and even gets angry, right? And this seamless and organic ecosystem alive in nature is often juxtaposed by capitalism and technology, which has been associated with mechanical masculinity. So just this, this is similar to how the environment has been gendered, right? And furthermore, the patriarchy has controlled and still continues to control women's autonomy, movements, and rights, while also subjecting women to the ever-present male gaze. And capitalism, too, has subjected nature to its manipulative gaze and extracted the earth to near exhaustion and even revolt as we have witnessed in the climate crisis itself and accompanying repercussions. So... As the climate crisis looms due to the intense demands of our modern systems, capitalism, which so heavily relied on the use of Earth's resources, will scramble to reinvent and sustain itself at an unsustainable pace. And so overall, Mother Nature once again is subject to the male gaze, but this time the impact may be even more oppressive. Wow, yes. Thank you so much, Riz, for laying that conceptual foundation um, for our conversation today. And, um, you know, next we want to talk about what are some of the ways that we see this in our lives? You know, how does this affect our communities um, as women of color? And so I'm going to start and just share my story of how this connects to my community and my family. Um, I grew up in Sonoma County, which is about one hour north of San Francisco. And since 2017, we now have what's officially fire season. 
And I just want to emphasize that this is a man-made disaster, you know, like this could have all been prevented. Um, but PG&E, it's, it's a multi-billion dollar corporation and they completely just neglected the land. Um, and since then they filed for bankruptcy, you know, they have caused so much unreparable damage. Um, and thousands of families are suffering for it, you know, um, losing their homes, losing their loved ones, being just completely uh, destabilized. My family migrated here from Mexico. Um, my family is a working class family in Sonoma County. And so when these fires happen, you know, between August and like October, it spans for about two, three months, um, it just, it provides such instability and anxiety and it's honestly really traumatizing um, for my family for example the women in my family we all um, they all work in in like the service industry or like the beauty industry things like that and if you can't work you know things are shut down you can't work you don't make that money that's just how it goes or if you work in the fields like my uncles do um, you're working under really smoky conditions, which is incredibly unsafe, especially this past year with COVID, literally a respiratory disease. Um, and so it's just, it's had this incredibly devastating impact on Sonoma County, this place that, that you know, has been my home. And it just, it feels like this continuous destabilization of home um, and a continuous force of colonization, imperialism, um, and capitalism. Mm -hmm. Name them. Exactly. And so I really want to name this quote by um, Berta Cáceres. She said, you know, while we have capitalism, the planet will not be saved. Capitalism is contrary to life, to the environment, to human beings, to women, to all forms of life. And she said this specifically in a protest against US imperialism in Latin America. She um, was from Honduras and sadly was murdered for the work that she did um, in fighting for environmental justice in Honduras for indigenous folks. So I just, you know, these, these things are all connected. And um, this has been just a really devastating example of the ways in which um, these forces destabilize our homes and, and affect the land. Thanks, Denise, for just sharing your story and connecting that. Um, to talk a little bit about my family, my story as well, I'm, I want to link it back to Oakland. I mentioned that I am based here, I'm from here, and my family's been in the East Bay since the 1940s. And so prior to doing some research on the land, destabilization, I came across a book, a, pho a photographic journey by Bill Caldwell, specifically um, in Oakland. And the first page that I saw and see, I'm currently looking at it and I wish you could all see it, is this image of Oakland or looking north from the foot of Broadway in 1854. And the image is land, trees, um, it's not a photograph, it's a drawing, but that's what it most, of, most likely looked like prior to um, photography, right? And then right next to it is a image of Broadway, the freeways, buildings that inhabit the land. And just looking at that is amazing, just a visual to see what that looks like prior to um, our modern world. 
And so I want to talk a little bit about the correct connection between industrialization, population growth, um, and then a little bit on the history of Oakland in general. So like Denise, like your family, my family immigrated from Mexico in the 1940s. And we originally were, or my grandparents were originally in West Oakland, but because of the construction of the freeways, particularly 880, they were displaced um, as many black indigenous people of color um, were as well. And we moved to the Fruitvale district, which has been historically a community of immigrants. And looking at those different backgrounds, um, Historically, they were German, Irish, but then my family is from Mexico. And so I want to talk about a little bit about the house and just land within that area. And not, over the last, over the few decades, the last century, um, that house that my family has resided in was my abuelas who passed away. But I want to talk about just the effects and how it is so for my family and in general, it's so unique that women are owners of land um, and how that's passed down from generation to generation, especially within that area of the Fruitvale District, which has shifted and changed throughout history throughout the last few years, especially in Oakland. We see um, large immigration um, movements, um, a lot of changes, and especially when we talk about the um, last couple of years, um, gentrification, displacement, um, a house that is over 70 years or almost 70 years constantly needs uptake. So we've had to go into the land, make some changes, adapt a costly update, the tubing foundation, which is ex wild, especially with property taxes and the continuous updates from year to year. And so I want to talk about this because I've seen that particular community shift over the last few years, um, some people having to move, sell those houses, and as women who house or have control of that land, of that property, it's been really hard for my mom that now owns that house to even uptake that with permits, um, especially the impacts of the pandemic, and so mm. how does that affect women overall in housing stabilization? Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Betty. And I really like, I really appreciate what you said in terms of it being unique and rare that women are owners of land, that, that we own property, that ownership belongs to us. Because historically, as we know, like, that's not something that's represented. Um, and like, speaking of the Bay Area, even though I'm a Boston native, like, I recognize after the last few years of living here and going to grad school out here, um, how rare that is. So there is a, a group that was founded called Moms for Housing. Um, that's what your story reminded me of, um, where Dominique Walker and uh, the co-founder Samir Karam, they um, ended up occupying this vacant home, right? And they're single mothers, and they're, of course, just wanting a place for their babies to have shelter, have a, a warm place to sleep. Um, but unfortunately, the <clears throat> violence in our justice system didn't allow for that, right? And it's such a tragedy because <clears throat> they had to occupy 
this space and big corporations are trying to kick them out, right? And these working class families are currently being displaced and pushed further and further and further out of cities that were predominantly people of color. You know, San Francisco, Oakland, the Bay Area, it has a lot of vast history place for immigrants and for marginalized people and black and brown people. Um, and so like when I'm thinking about um, this displacement due to like these big corporations that are flipping and reselling hundreds of homes in the Bay Area, I'm, I'm thinking about like all of the women who are out there struggling with houselessness. And a lot of the times like they're struggling with houselessness due to like domestic violence, due to um, employment inequity. They're struggling because they <clears throat> have no other choice, right? Because of the constant oppressions that our system is placing on them, the weight of, of the world that they're carrying, right? the same world that we say as a society, we love and respect, right? And that we swear to protect. But unfortunately, like Mother Earth, mothers, our own mothers, are being forced to move. And that's heartbreaking, you know? Yes, absolutely. This has really disproportionate impact on women. Um, and so, you know, next, I want to talk a little bit more about how we talk about land and the earth in a feminized way. How does that connect to the impact on women's reproductive health? I guess I could start up with just a concept and then someone wants to pick up for me afterwards, that would be amazing. Um, so I guess for me, like the gendering and feminization of the environment is so normalized and socialized into our society as basically since I was a child through like books I read, cartoons, television, and even in the vernacular that I just spoke growing up and absorbed it because I think first it's a comforting idea that the earth is analogous to a mother, a parental mm, figure, because mm -hmm. she's life-sustaining and provides us with all we need to survive. But I guess I never really question the gendering of this language and the sexist language that reinforces gender stereotypes and hierarchies, you know? And I've been reading lately um, how for decades, feminists and eco-feminist thinkers have discussed the reasons for this negative implication of the feminization of nature. So for example, Sherry Ortner, who's a distinguished culture anthropologist and professor, she stated in her 1974 article, Is Female to Male as Nature to Culture? What she said was that when women are seen as closer to nature, it also makes them easier to subordinate, just as mm. nature itself is everywhere devalued and subordinated. And wow, I guess like as deep. a disclaimer, right? It's so deep. But of course, I don't want people to think that this does not mean women can't be close to nature. It's just a matter of understanding how patriarchy in the male gaze has perceived and treated women and environment simultaneously. So mm. I guess I can give a second example from Carolyn Merchant, another prominent eco-feminist who wrote in The Death of Nature. She said that following the scientific revolution, the environment became something to be exploited, transformed and used for profit. 
which draws an eerie similarity to how women's labor and reproductive abilities have for thousands of years been exploited and freely accessed or regulated, such as we see through the differing laws and abortions, right? So the devaluation of both woman and the environment is preserved in our terms notably through, for example, saying virgin earth, fertile land, barren soil. So once again, associating the worth of woman by the reproductive qualities, which mm -hmm. I think demonstrates how the increased feminization of nature correlates directly with the subordination of women globally. It's so true, Riz. It's so true. And like, it's really, really shocking, you know, when we look at this even like on a, on our day to day, right? In our everyday life, like we're out here worrying about, you know, like the food that we're eating, but we're not worried about the air that we're breathing, right? Um, and so I was looking up a little bit about like statistics specifically here in the Bay. And I'm, and I'm thinking about like, so what does pollution do, right? To our, our bodies. And not just because I'm a doctor that I'm like harping on the importance of like, you know, protect your lungs, protect your life, right? It's also the fact that, you know, if we think about like childhood asthma, how that's correlated with, um, you know, more populous cities and those populated cities are usually filled with more black and brown bodies, right? If we think about the connection that that has to do with capitalism, right? And how this country makes money. Like we start to notice that like nothing exists in a vacuum and everything is connected and interrelated. So like, I, I looked up some statistics and basically they found that in 2020, the San Jose, San Francisco, Oakland area had the country's third highest daily particle pollution and the eighth highest ozone pollution, right? And seeing as how Black Maternal Health Week was like a couple weeks ago, mid-April, I was like, okay, so well, what does this do to our babies, right? What does this do to our bodies that then in turn impacts our children? Um, and basically an average of one child, one out of five children have new childhood asthma cases um, across the Bay Area. And pollution is responsible for like one to two of those cases, because of course, is a part, but then there's, you know, the environment that equally pays a part in like how we develop. And about half of childhood asthma cases is due, unfortunately, to the pollution, right? Because we're not taking care of our planet, right? And as was said, that's all connected with how we view our planet and how we feminize our planet. And it's like, there's also more research at um, the University of California where they like were just testing, they were taking blood samples from 30 pregnant women, right? And they take the blood samples from these fetal, fetal umbilical cords and they found that there were over a hundred industrial chemicals in pregnancy. So in utero, our children are already being impacted. 
we have to find a way to stop this. Because unfortunately, like this, this soot, the particle pollution and the nitrogen dioxide pollution, it's leading to over 5,000 new childhood asthma cases, thousands of deaths. And like, we don't want that for our children, but realistically, if we think about the people that are most impacted, it's not people in the predominantly white neighborhoods, right? Because people of color are the ones that are dealing with the constant systemic injustice, dealing with the constant pollution, dealing with the constant struggle just to have a backyard, have trees, have access to parks, have access to clean water, have access to, to clean and healthy food, right? So unfortunately, the air we breathe is also being um, manipulated and being poisoned by this capitalist country. Um, and yes, there are like, you know, tests that we can order under the Environmental Protection Agency, but it also depends greatly who's in office, if we're being honest, you know? Like Trump administration had the ability to, you know, they had the ability, Trump administration had the ability to order these tests, but they only did one, right? The administration did one the whole time he was in office. So, Globally, there are hundreds of thousands of chemicals and about a third of those can't be identified. And that's impacting women around the world. This greed and this capitalism isn't only impacting here, us, us in here in the Bay, it's impacting women around the world. Yes, it's all connected. And honestly, this is why we need to rematriate the land. You know, here in the Bay Area, in Oakland specifically, we, we have Sogorate Land Trust, um, who are urban indigenous women reclaiming land. And at the end of the day, you know, this land is indigenous land, this land is stolen. And indigenous folks know how to steward the land, know how to take care of the land um, in a way that isn't exploitative. Um, and we really need to get back to that because we cannot, keep going the way we're going with rich white men in charge of land mm -hmm. systems that we live under. It's not sustainable and it's just not gonna happen anymore. So land back to indigenous folks now. Yes, that's so needed. Yeah, Janev, so what you said about like women's maternal health and nutrition and how like babies are being born with plastics in them, like I think you brilliantly tied together how women's health, what affects the health and the environment also impacts the health of women. And so because mm -hmm. of that, I think I wanted to bring up nutrition, you know, mm -hmm. um, because in countries in the global south that have been historically overexploited, the causes and effects of poor nutritional status um, show the relationships between nutrition, workload, and health. And so I think I wanted to say that gender bias impacts like intra-household food distribution. So studies yeah. primarily from South 
Asia have found less adequate consumption of nutrients on the part of adult women compared to adult men. And so I guess like from a pub, I can bring up some public health quick facts right now. So the major nutritional deficiency diseases of concern in the global south are four of them. So the first one is protein energy malnutrition. The second one is iodine deficiency disorders. The third one is vitamin A deficiency. And the fourth one is iron deficiency anemia. Mm, yeah. And I appreciate you saying that because when I was thinking about like, you know, iron deficiency, that's something that my body definitely struggles with. And I know a lot of other women's bodies struggle with that. So I'm not surprised that it's correlated, you know, like aunties, sisters, cousins, whatnot, you know? Oh, you know, and I know it too, because, oh girl, I'm also struggling with some anemia and like my my iron sulfate pills, like don't do anything. Yes, you have to get the heavy duty, the heavy duty, yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Yeah, and so all of these four major nutritional deficiencies of concern have uh, also impact each gender differently. So three out of these four diseases represent a more serious problem for women than men. And both iron deficiency anemia and goiter, um, which is severe iodine deficiency, are more prevalent among adult women than men. And protein energy malnutrition is significantly higher among women in South Asia, where almost half of the world's undernourished people live. Um, Wow. Just wow, Riss, the fact that you just tied in all of the health disparities and connected that to the land and connected, you know, Genev's health um, impacts as well as the displacement and fire connected the stories with Denise and the impacts of fire, the fires in Santa Rosa, as well as my own experiences in my, with my family's ownership of land is just powerful to talk all about that in for Earth Day. How amazing. And yet at the same time, not amazing that we're having to have this conversation. Mm, yeah. Love the earth, y'all. Love the earth, love each other, respect each other, respect women. Thanks for listening. All right. Thank you all so much for listening to our conversation, our transnational feminist perspective of Earth Day. You can find us on socials, AffirmSF, that's at AF3IRMSF. See you next time.